0: If you think I'm going to lead it from here, you're in trouble. <laughs> Amen. 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 Well, good morning, church. Good morning. God has been good. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 66. If you want to turn there in your phone or device, whatever you're using. Uh, if you're new around here, we want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Ben, I'm pastor here. We're glad you could join us today as we uh, head into the Thanksgiving week together. And we give God thanks as He is our joy. He is the one who's turned our life around, as we sang, our healer, our deliverer, uh, the one we celebrate today. And so I'm glad we could do that this week and every week. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 66, verses just one and two. One and two. If you're there, say amen. 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 Hear the reading of God's word. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, The Way Up is Down. The Way Up is Down. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. That you are a God who saw us in our depths of sin and brokenness and you said, that's my child. That's the one who I'm going to go after. That's the one I'm going to send my son for. That's the one who I'm going to rip open the heavens and die on a cross so the day could be with me. What a gift. What an amazing good news that we celebrate. And so we pray, God, today as we look again at your word and we see how you the high and exalted one, have come low. We pray you would change our hearts and our minds in the beauty of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In 1985, there was a rock climber by the name of Joe Simpson. And he was climbing up one of the peaks of the Andes with his climbing partner, who uh, was named Simon Yates. And the two of them together were going up some pretty dangerous terrain and, and uh, disaster struck in the middle of their climb as they were getting towards the peak. And uh, basically, uh, Simpson, he fell down into this crevice. And when he fell down into it, he broke his leg and got kind of stuck and wedged in between these two rocks. And so his friend Yates was tied to him. They had a rope that kind of tied them together to keep them uh, close to one another. And so he's trying to get him loose and trying everything he can to pull him out and pull him out. And he tried for hours. And, you know, the darkness is coming upon them. This blizzard has gotten worse and and they're there uh, getting frostbitten. And, And so he's trying to save his friend's life and pull him out but he realized it wasn't going to work and so he had to abandon his friend and cut the rope so he cut the rope to save his own life and heads back to the base camp and the whole way back you know he's full of grief he's full of sadness because he had to leave behind his friend to die and so this whole time he thinks he's going to die and and uh, miraculously his friend Simpson he he was uh, in this spot, and he's trying to get himself out, but he realized that because of the, the kind of the angle it was at, the more he pushed up, the more he tried to get up, it actually made it worse. And so he realized as, as he was there that, that the only way he was going to get out was if he took a chance, and if he actually went down further into the crevice, hoping that there might be some other exit that he couldn't see. And so he took the plunge, and he moved downward instead of upward. And he goes down deeper into the crevice. And he said this in his memoir as he's looking back. He said, this is what I was wondering. He said, am I lowering myself to freedom or deeper into the belly of the earth to die? And he said, as I went deeper, I realized I was going against every instinct I had. Every instinct to survive said, go up towards the light. But here I am going down deeper and deeper and deeper. And God provided a way out that I never would have imagined, and he survived, miraculously. He survived because he went with this bold move to say, the way out is down. The way out, the way up and out is down. Now, that sounds insane because that's not the normal way life works, right? Not not only on the top of a mountain, but in your house or at your job or with your kids or wherever your life may be happening, normally what we want is we want to be moving up, right? All of us, we want to be moving up. We we want to see progress and we we crave any kind of improvement. We we want to be seeing more of everything. We want to see more money. We want to see more influence. We want to see uh, more people in our life, more friends, whatever it may be. We want to see more and better and brighter. So we, we have this instinct that says you got to move towards the progress. you got to be moving up. And, I mean, you could tell in our culture by who we celebrate, right? I mean, we don't celebrate the people at the bottom, do we? We celebrate the people at the top. We celebrate the people with the power and the wealth and the influence and... And, you know, we, we'll sit around and we'll watch TV shows that are literally nothing but watching powerful people live their life. And it's called reality. Because we, we crave that for us, right? There's something deep within us that we, we crave their status and their position. And, and we, we just admire and, and wonder what must it be like to live that life. Because that is what we all should be doing, right? We, we should all be moving up. But then God steps into our life and He says, there's actually a different direction for your life. And this is what brings us to uh, this text in Isaiah. We're finishing up this series uh, in the book of Isaiah today. As we come to this last chapter, and, and really it's kind of a false finish because we're actually, next week is the beginning of Advent, the Christmas season as we await the coming Savior, and uh, we're, we're going back to the beginning of Isaiah. We're going to lap it back around and go back to the beginning where we skipped a few passages that were specifically prophesying Jesus' birth. But today, as we come to this last chapter in a kind of a, a survey that we've been doing over the book of Isaiah you see that Isaiah is is really returning to a previous theme in the beginning. In chapter 6, he gets this incredible vision of God. And this vision of God shapes the whole book. And now when you get to the end, you see he's given this vision of the end, of of creation being renewed and all things made new, and and how God is going to right all the wrongs and bring about the flourishing of all things. And so when he sees this vision, now at the end... He he contemplates what's it going to be like to get in. In other words, who is God going to allow into his new creation? Who's going to enjoy the beauty of that vision? And here's what it is. He says it's the person who has this vision of God. This person who, like Isaiah in chapter 6, sees God high and lifted up and also sees themselves as they really are. And so here is where we see God says there's a different direction for your life. There's a different way of seeing yourself and a different way of seeing him. And this is what Isaiah unpacks in the beginning of this chapter, in chapter uh, 66, that he has a particular way forward. And so first I want to look at where God locates himself in the text. So if you're taking notes, uh, the first thing is God sits high. God sits high. Look at verse 1, how he begins the chapter, he says this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. I mean, listen to what he's saying. It goes all the way back to chapter 6 again. Remember, Isaiah has this vision of God. He's taken up and he sees God in his throne room and he sees God high and lifted up. He says the train of his robe fills the temple, right? His power and his majesty, his glory is on display. And as he looks, he sees the angels and the angels are flying around God. And and if you remember in chapter six, they're singing this song perpetually, holy, 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 over and over. And that word holy means he's incomparable. There's no one like our God. And so Isaiah sees this God high and lifted up on his throne. And now in chapter 66, he he bookends it. He sees the same God lifted up, but this time he's on his throne. And his throne, God says, is the heavens. And just the footstool of his throne is the earth. I mean the, the imagery here is similar, but but it's it's taking it one step further to say how immense God really is. That that he's uncontainable. And this imagery of his house threads throughout the book of, of or the Old Testament, right? I mean, as you go back to the Old Testament in the beginning, you see Moses, who was commanded by God to build this, this tabernacle. And when he tells Moses to build the tabernacle, he gives him all these measurements and and specific details about how the tabernacle is supposed to be. But God made it very clear to Moses that I'm going to dwell in the tabernacle, but this is not going to be the only place I am. This this little piece of of animal uh, skin and, and different pieces put together, this can't contain who I am. This is just where I'm going to be dwelling, but, but this is not the whole of who I am. And then when David comes along later and, and David says to God that he wants to build a permanent house for him because the tabernacle moved and, and was temporary, he, he says, I want to build a permanent house for you. God wasn't against it, but God reminded David, this wasn't my idea. This isn't what, what I said I wanted or needed because, listen, I'll dwell there, but that's not the only place I'm going to be. I, I cannot be contained by any house. Yeah, right. And so now in Isaiah, he's reminding Isaiah as he's giving this picture of the new heavens and the new earth that, that even there, you can't contain me. I've created all these things and they've come about because I'm uncontainable. In other words, what he's saying though, Isaiah, is you can't contain me, therefore you can't control me. You you can't control me. I am high above everything in the creation. God always confounds our control. He confounds our control. There was a man by the name of Bill Clem. He was the, the father of kind of modern baseball umpires. And uh, he, he was known as kind of this very uh, dignified uh, man with, with great judgment. And, and he was kind of this pillar in the baseball community. And he had, he had been an umpire for 37 years. He retired in 1941. He was the first umpire to use hand signals. So like today, we take that for granted, where you, you know what the umpire says by the hand signal they make, but he was the first person to do that. And so he, he was well known, and he, he had such a good reputation, he was called the old arbitrator. And that meant, you know, he, he had great judgment and a good eye, and he could see everything. And, and so he had this kind of reputation, but even with that reputation, all the baseball players, of course, still complained about his calls, right? They're, they're still complaining, and they, they told the story one time about him uh, with, with kind of a new batter who didn't know him very well. And the batter's up on the plate about to hit, and the pitcher throws the ball, and the ball kind of whizzes past him. And, and just for a second, he didn't make a call. He just paused for just a second, and the batter didn't hear him say anything, so he turns over to the umpire and he says, you know, what's that going to be? Is that, is that a ball or a strike? And Bill looked at him and he said, son, it's nothing until I call it. I call the plays, you play the game. I mean, think about that. I call the plays, you play the game. What what God is saying here to Isaiah is, is you can't contain me. I'm in a different category. I'm I'm in control of everything you see, and that's why it's come about, because I'm in control. We don't have control. He does. And and so what he's saying is, who, who are you to try to control and contain me? I am God. See, what's exposed in our hearts and in our desire, our craving for control, is is our intensive arrogance. See, we don't like that He would do anything beyond our approval. We we don't like that God would choose to to make a decision without our, our consultation. We don't like that God would choose to to make things happen or allow things to happen or or orchestrate things in such a way that that it goes against our desires and our will and our plan. And so really what we want is we want to be in His place. We we want to be on His throne. We, We want to take Him down and say, I'll do a better job if you'll just put me right there. Because the core problem is that we want to be in control. We want to be in control. We want to elevate ourselves so that God answers to me. But listen, God doesn't consult with us. He saves us. He saves us. And he does whatever he desires. And listen, it's always good and wise. It's always good and wise. See, Isaiah is saying that God is is different from us, but that doesn't mean he's indifferent to us. Do you catch, the, you catch what I'm saying? He, he's different from us in that he's holy and there's no one like him and he's in control and he's all-powerful and he's high and lifted up, but that doesn't mean he's indifferent and aloof and, and separated, so he's not involved in our lives. He's exalted, but he's not absent. Paul Miller wrote this. He said, We don't think God could be concerned with the puny details of my little life. He's either too big or we're too insignificant. They don't seem to go together. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is that God sees you and He hears you. You need to hear that this morning. Whatever you might be going through, He he sees and He hears you. He's high and lifted up, and he's in control, and he's all-powerful, but but he's in the midst of your life right now, and he's listening, and he's watching, and he's acting. He's walking with you in the midst of that divorce. He's walking with you in that loss of your family member. He's listening to the cries of your despair. He's he's in control, but he's, he's here. He's present. He's with you. In the pit of despair, there's nothing too small, nothing too big. He looks and he hears, but where does he look? And what's he looking for? What, what's he listening for? This, this is what he says next. And, and when God looks, he, he tells us where he looks. In, in the next verse, God looks low. He looks low. Look at verse 2. In the second half of the verse, he says, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit... And trembles at my word. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and, 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 and trembles at my word. Again, there's a comparison going back to chapter six uh, in Isaiah's vision, right? When Isaiah sees God and he sees him high and lifted up and he's he's hearing the angels say, Holy, 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 what's Isaiah's response? He says, Woe is me. Right, his, his response to seeing the high and lifted up God is, woe is me as the person who sees him. And so there's this immediate response of humility. And right here, God says, I'm, I'm looking for that same response. I'm, I'm looking for the humble person now, what's amazing about this word humble in Hebrew is it's actually the same word used in chapter 61 that we talked about before, about where, where God says He's going to send the Messiah to give good news to the poor. The word poor and the word humble are the same word. It, it means to be afflicted. And it means that it could be kind of a physical affliction or a spiritual affliction, but it means that the the pressures of life are pushing you down in such a way that that it's pushing you to the bottom. And so here it's used in the sense that that the effects of life have have pushed you down to where the the result now is your humility. You see that? And he pairs it with this other image here with contrite, contrite in spirit. Literally, the word is disabled. Disabled. And in fact, this is the only place in the whole Old Testament where it's used in a spiritual sense. In every other place, it's a physical disability, like with Mephibosheth and and others in the Old Testament. This is the word that's used to describe their physical ailment. But here, Isaiah uses it in a spiritual sense to say, just like your body can be disabled, your soul can be disabled, that, that you are helpless before God. But listen, that's what I'm actually looking for. That's what I'm looking for. The person who's disabled in spirit is what I'm looking for. Not the person who says, I can do it all, or I can reach the heights, or I can get up to where God is, but I'm looking for the person at the bottom who, because of life, has been pushed down because that's where I am, and I'm looking there. God looks for the lowly, for the lowly. We see this happen in in Luke chapter 7, and we actually talked about this in grow class this morning, so God is is double-dosing us in this text. But Luke chapter 7, we meet a man named Simon, who's a a Pharisee who's throwing a party, and he invites Jesus over to his house because Jesus was a famous rabbi, and he wants to be famous like Jesus, so he thinks, maybe it'll rub off on me, and, and all my friends can see this famous rabbi. And so he invites Jesus over, and they're having a good time until an unexpected guest shows up at the party. There's an unexpected guest. This woman Luke describes as a woman of the city. Scholars think it's a euphemism for she was a prostitute. She's out in the city known as this woman who's living promiscuous, and and she comes to the party, and she barges in looking for Jesus. And when she finds Jesus, she falls down at his feet, and she begins to weep. And her tears anoint Jesus' feet. And her hair covers his feet and she begins to wash his feet with her own hair. And she's just uninhibited, right? No one is going to stop her. She comes in looking for Jesus and just lets loose her worship for him. And of course, everybody's looking at this, and it's this major disruption. People are asking questions. What's going on? How does Jesus know this woman? What does this mean about their relationship? And so all these assumptions are swirling around in the room. And of course, not everybody liked it. So Simon kind of mumbles under his breath, if if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, and he wouldn't be letting her do that. Of course, Simon is saying that he's not a prophet, but, but I am, right? I, I know what Jesus is doing, and I know what this woman is doing, and clearly Jesus is in the wrong. And I love what Jesus says. He says, all right, Simon, let me tell you a little story. There, there, there were two guys. They they each had a debt. One, one's, one's debt was outrageous. It was $70,000. And, and another guy had a debt that was about $7,000. And they both owed their debt to the same man, and neither one of them could pay it. Neither one of them had any chance of paying it. They were completely unable. But the man who, who owned the, the debt, they, or, or, or they owed the debt to, he was gracious and he forgave both of their debts. He says, Now, which person do you think will love the man more? The one who had the greater debt or the lesser debt? And now Simon knows this is in front of everybody. He's been exposed. The the pride that was oozing out of him as he challenged Jesus in the midst of this woman's display of worship and love, he'd been caught. And so he says, I suppose the one with the greater debt. And Jesus so graciously, so gently says, you're right. And then he says, he turns to the woman and says to Simon as he's looking at the woman this. He says, do you see this woman? From the moment I entered your house, she hasn't stopped loving me. You gave me no water to wash my feet, yet she washed them with her own tears and hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting on the cheek, and yet she hasn't stopped kissing even my feet. You didn't anoint my, my head with oil as your special guest, and yet she anointed my very feet. Simon, this woman has put you to shame with her love for me. And then he ends with this principle. He said, he who's forgiven little loves little. In other words, Simon, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't give grace because he really hadn't received grace. You hear that? He, he couldn't uh, identify in the humility because he'd never been humbled himself. He, he had never been in that place where the woman was, and so he hadn't lowered himself down to the low place, and that's where grace is found. See, the, gospel, the first move of the gospel is always downward. It's always toward the bottom. The gospel humbles us to realize it's not about us at all. It's not about our abilities, our knowledge, our accomplishment. God uses us despite what we think makes us strong. right? Paul himself wrestled with his own weakness, saying, and begging to God, God, would you take this away from me? And God's response to him is what? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul, to that, says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, he he had to start the journey downward. He had to move into his weakness, into his brokenness, into his pain, into his inability. He had to, in order to make the move of the gospel, because that's where it begins. And when you move downward, you realize that God is there at the bottom because he's gone before you. He's gone before you. And, and, and this is the third point. God comes low. We see this happen in, in the life of Jesus again in John chapter 13. It was the night of, of what many have called the Last Supper. Right, this is Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples for the last time and he gathers everybody together in this upper room that they had rented out and, uh, and they're there wondering about Jesus. Right? They've been with this man for three years and still questions are circling around, who is Jesus? Who could have this kind of power? Who could have this kind of love and compassion? Who could heal lepers and calm storms? Like Really, who is Jesus? They still hadn't fully figured it out. And in the middle of this questioning and wondering who Jesus is, Jesus stands up from the table and he's sitting at the place of honor, the highest honor at the table. He stands up and he walks over to the corner where the servant of the house kept all of his supplies. And he walks over there and catches Peter's eye as he's walking to the corner and he undresses himself, taking off his outer garment and throws it down and takes up a towel that the servant would use and he wraps the towel around his waist, basically dressing himself to serve. And then Jesus grabs the bowl that was used for the water and and fills it up with water, and then he kneels down at the disciples' feet, and he begins to wash feet. In the middle of their argument about who's the greatest, and who is Jesus, and what's really going on, Jesus begins to wash feet. The most menial task that was actually illegal for someone like jesus the only people who were allowed to wash feet were gentile slaves and here's jesus the, the most highly honored doing the lowest task and when he gets around the table to peter peter has nothing to do with that right everybody else is speechless and peter speaks And Peter says out of his mouth, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. You uh, you will never wash my feet, Jesus. And you get it, right, what Peter's saying. He's saying, you know, you can't be my Lord and wash my feet. You can't be my Savior and get to this kind of depth. That's not what people do. That's not what Messiahs do, Jesus. Get up off the floor. You're, You're better than that. You're higher than that. You have more dignity than that. And Jesus says to him, In verse 8, chapter 13, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no share with me. And what Jesus is saying is that this is the only way This is absolutely necessary. This is essential. The the only way we're going to have this happen, that that you would become a part of me, that you would share with me, is if I go to the lowest place. In other words, Peter, this, this is not about your feet. This is about your soul. This is about your life. This is about you needing to be washed fully so that grace can wash over your life. And Peter says to that, okay, well then wash me. And not just my feet, but from head to toe, wash all of me. And Jesus was saying, this only happens if I go to the lowest place. Your only way up is if I go down. Jesus humbles himself to exalt us. That's the gospel. See, Jesus went to the lowest places. The one calling us to the back of the line went there first. He left not just a dinner table, but the throne of heaven. He came down to the lowliest of our world. He he entered into the mess of our sin, a world with our lust, with our greed, with our fears, with our addiction, our arrogance, our pride. He came that low. And listen, that's all of us, right? He, He came not just for a few people, but he came for all the people in the depths of sin, all the pit of destruction. He said, I came for them. To the bottom. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. He took our place, taking the wrath of God for guilt and shame for one reason to wash us clean and to make us new. See, what Jesus was telling Simon is, is only grace, only grace can take a proud person and make them humble. It's only grace that you, you can't stand before God and, and say, I'm just going to be humble. You can't will yourself into humility. You you have to humble yourself by by taking on the reality that this is what I deserved. This is the depths of my sin and my pain and my, my guilt that I've caused. This is the bad news of the gospel so that the good news of the gospel makes sense. So you have to see it. You have to take it upon yourself by going low because Jesus came for the lowest. But the gospel brings us low and doesn't leave us there. See, death on a cross gave way to new life from the grave. God says to those in Christ, friend, move up higher, right? He he says this at the table when he's talking about the banquet. He says that the person who's, who's at the lowest, they will be flipped to the top because whoever's first will be last and whoever's last will be first. I'm going to move you up higher. See, the Christian life is ultimately headed upward, It's God moving us up in Christ, up, not down. It starts down, but it goes up. And so for us, the best is always yet to come. We we look forward to the end when we will be with God in his fullness and all creation will be transformed and he will say, come in because you are the one I was looking for. The one who's invited to the table that shouldn't be there. The one who comes to the banquet who didn't get an invitation but came anyways because they were were needy and, and, and broken and had to come. See, our God is lifting us up and our God is taking us up with him. Even now, his gospel proclaims, come, move up higher in my grace. Come, move up higher in the newness of life through me. Come, move up higher in the fight against sin. Move up higher in your hope for the future, in your intimacy with me. You can come, and as you move down, I will move you up. I will move you up. But first, you have to be brought low. Because the way up begins by going down. That's what he's saying. The the whole book of Isaiah is about this. It's about a God who's high and lifted up, who comes to the broken at the bottom so that he can make all creation new. That, that's what it is. And so as we close today, I just want to leave you with that simple message from the whole book of Isaiah to say this. God, God is inviting you to himself, but it, it happens by going down. It's what the Bible calls Repentance. The Bible calls repentance this movement downward where you deny yourself. And as Jesus said, you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow me. Just as Jesus enters into the death of sin and moves downward and is resurrected in newness of life, he's saying, I'm calling you into that if you want to follow me. And the way that may seem against every instinct that you have, that everything in you says, i got to elevate myself, and i got to improve myself, and i got to be better than I was before. That isn't what works. What works is dying. And dying to be raised. And when you trust me in that, I'll look at the lowly, I'll look at the bottom, and the person who's humble and contrite, the person who doesn't have what they need. That's the person I'll look to. And that's the person I'll lift up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you uh, came for us because we, we were stuck at the bottom. We were like the man who who was stuck in that crevice and and was trying to get out on his own and trying to push himself up and and move upward to get out because it felt as if that was the way forward. It felt that's how he could save his life. And and yet, Jesus, you say to us, if if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But it's so contrary to what we believe, so contrary to what we see in the world around us. And so we pray you give us eyes of faith. We pray that as we desire to move towards you, I'm sure there are folks here today who who feel stuck in their relationship with you or stuck in life and trying to figure out things and, and it seems as if we should lift ourselves up. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would move us down to the low place and find you there already working ahead of us already loving and serving and caring and dying to yourself over and over again. And God, may we find life through that, that just as we share in your suffering, we would share in your life. pray in Jesus' name, amen.